I actually wanted to start by polling the group real quick. So I know everyone's like busy turning off their cameras, but actually, could you turn them back on real quick? Um, Cause I'm gonna ask a series of questions. I'm gonna ask three questions and then we're gonna answer them by show of hands. So it'd be helpful to, to see everybody on video. And you were just on video, so we know you can do it. Okay, cool. Um, all right, just three questions. All right, quick and painless. Um, so I'm just curious, question number one, all right, just show of hands. How many of you have ever heard the word accountability used in a Christian context? Okay, I think that's most, okay. All right, great, question number two. How many of you have ever personally, ever at any point, been part of something you would describe as accountability? Like a group or a partner, okay. Okay, that's a lot. Okay, great, thank you. Question number three, how many of you are currently in something you would describe as accountability? Okay, all right, awesome, thank you. Speaking of accountability, it'd be great if you could leave your cameras on. <laughs> That wasn't a trick. I promise that wasn't a trick. I'd like, I really actually did want to know, but like, you know, two birds and everything. So, um, so it, like most of you, if not all of you, um, I didn't actually go through and look, but, but almost all of you have heard the word accountability used in a Christian context, right? And if you haven't before, give it like a couple days and you will. So um, I, I wanted to ask a question. This one's just for you, just to think of it on your own. When I say that word accountability, when you hear that word accountability, what is it that comes to mind? What do you think of? What do you think of when you hear the word accountability? Because like, I think like many things in our Christianity, accountability is a good thing, right? We know it's a good thing, but it's also a word. It's an idea that we throw around a lot, right? Don't you think? And without clarity and some definition, we kind of assume we all know what we're talking about, but but sometimes I feel like we we don't actually exactly know what we're supposed to be shooting for, right? Um, and then that starts to, to lead to some weird places, right? Like honestly, sometimes accountability is just peer pressure. Maybe you've experienced this, right? Um, a story about that. So when I was a sophomore at UCLA, a buddy of mine and uh, a buddy of mine and I led this small group for, for WCF because uh, for some reason, you know, we let sophomores do that. And, and we wanted the guys in our small group to memorize uh, this passage, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Um, and we decided the best way to get them to do it was every week when we met, we would go in the circle and each person would say a word at a time. And then for every word that someone missed, the whole group had to do 10 push-ups. Um, and we thought it was a really good idea, but like by week three, we were all doing like 50 push-ups, you know. Um, so what would end up happening is like, we would just burn half the small group time doing pushups. Um, so that wasn't great. Just to be clear, this is not like a, an example of what to do. So like, if you're a small group leader, you shouldn't be getting any ideas. So I don't want to see writing. Um, this is not something to do. Here's another one. Uh, one of the apartments, this was after I graduated, one of the apartments I lived in after college, there were these guys that I lived with and we were guys, right? So, um, so we needed help with this. We, we wanted to, to help each other pull our weight, pull equal weight on chores. So we decided it'd be a good idea if we put up this clipboard um, and on this clipboard, we would keep a tally, right? So we just, all of our names, keep a tally of how many times everyone in the apartment did chores. So like there's a column for taking out the trash and sweeping the floors and stuff like that. And we thought it'd be a good idea to put the clipboard right up next to the front door. So like anyone who would walk in, anyone who would visit, it was the first thing they saw. So, I mean, like I lived there for a year and a half. That's the most chores I've ever done in my life. Um, and and actually I was living with a bunch of guys who go to this church, the lighthouse, and it was like not that long ago. So if you want names, we can talk afterwards. Um, so I, I, think, I think a lot of times it can become peer pressure, right? And another way we can go wrong with accountability, maybe on the other end of the spectrum is it just becomes like this sin confessing time, sin confessing time right? You ever seen that before? So it's, it's when you get together and you go, all right, uh, this week, here's all the ways I've sinned this way, this way, this way, wanted to let you know, um, I was struggling with this, still struggling with it, did it again. And you kind of get it all off your chest, right? And the other person's like, you know what, thank you for letting me know. Same thing. I did this, I did that, you know? Um, and it, and it like, you feel good, right? It feels good to get that off my chest kind of thing. We confess, pat each other on the back and then we go home. 
and we're like, it's so great to have someone to commiserate with. But that's kind of it, right? Everyone's doing the same stuff week in and week out. No one actually really changes. And that doesn't sound like it's that great either, right? So here, here's how tonight's going to go, okay? We're going to tackle accountability in four steps. First, we're going to define it. We're going to define biblical accountability, and that's in your notes. Second, we're going to talk about why we should want it, some motives for biblical accountability. Third, we're going to identify some barriers that keep us from getting there. And then fourth, we'll make an action plan to take some practical steps. Sound good? Cool. All right, let's go. First step, let's define biblical accountability. What exactly is accountability? Turn with, you, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. And as you're turning there, let me just give you, let me set it up for you, okay? So Jesus is describing his second coming, okay? Second coming and what it's going to be like. And he's using a series of analogies called parables, right? You might have heard that word before. And in verse 14, Matthew 25, 14, he starts using this very famous parable, the parable of the talents. And he's like, here's what my second coming is going to be like. There's this master who goes on a trip, this rich guy, he's got a bunch of servants and he leaves three of them at home and he entrusts a certain amount of money to each one, a certain amount of money to each servant. Okay. So pick up with me in verse 19. I'm going to read it starting in verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. See that phrase settled accounts. Okay. So pay attention to that. And listen to what happens as the master goes ahead and settles accounts with his servants. Pick it up in verse 20. And he who had received the first, the, the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. So he's got 10 in total. But notice how what the master's doing is saying, he's, he's saying, come forward, right? And the, and the servant, just imagine them in a line. The servant says, step forward. And the servants, and, and the master's like, okay. What did you do with my money? Right? Show it to me. He's making them take responsibility one at a time. That's settling accounts. Settling accounts. Here, let's illustrate this further. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 12. It's a famous one that you've probably heard before. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give what? Account. See it? So there it is. There it is again, the word account. And, and, and look at what the passage is saying. It's saying God's word gets all the way inside of you. It susses out your thoughts and your intentions, and you cannot hide. It's like you're naked and exposed. Naked and exposed. Like, Beacon, think of that level of vulnerability. And that's how the Bible describes us giving account before God, spilling on everything we've ever done. And, and look, not just ever done, right? Look at verse 12. Everything we've thought and intended, we have to take responsibility for everything. So you see what's going on? Actually, the way the, the Bible describes accountability, like if you just literally work, look at the words account or accountable in the Bible, it's always vertical. It's always vertical. It's about God keeping us people accountable. A couple more examples. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. First Peter 4, 5, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So here's the point, guys. Biblical accountability is about us answering for our lives before God, who is the supreme judge of everyone. Now, we can let that sink in for a moment, right? The fact that we're accountable to God. Like, just think, okay, just for a second right now, think about the thoughts and the intentions that you've had this past week. The ones that obviously no one knows about, right? The, the, the ones that they can't see. Or think about the things that you've done in secret, alone, in your room. The stuff that you haven't told anyone. Now, I want you to imagine being naked and exposed in front of someone. No cover, no protection, no hiding, nothing to block them out. That's how we are before God. Let it sink in, Right? that one day he will settle accounts with you. He'll look at how you lived your life on the day of judgment. You'll have to take responsibility. 
Let it sink in that God is the judge of the whole universe, of everyone, and he holds everyone to what standard? The standard of perfection. Because what does he say? Be holy as I am holy, right? And he will have his justice. So what does that do if that sinks in? Like, what would that do to us? Two things, and they're in your notes. First, it would reorient our world. It would reorient our world. I think one of the big lies we believe, right, especially in college, is I answer to no one. Like there's this degree of autonomy that you've never had in your life, or at least you get to pick the people you answer to, right? Grad school admissions officers, companies you're applying to, professors, PIs, like even pastors. Sure, you answer to them, but you can always go somewhere else if you want to. You don't have to answer to them, right? And the point is, it's not inevitable that we answer to these people. And actually, if you're at home right now, maybe one of the uncomfortable things about being at home during the pandemic is, is you're with your parents and you're forced to answer to somebody that like you got used to not answering to, right? And that's like, no one wants to do that, right? Um, but now everything's reoriented in our lives. We do answer to somebody because this is God's universe and we're just living in it, right? He's the sun, he's the gravity and we're just in orbit around him. So we all inevitably answer to him whether we want to or not. Second thing this would do if it sinks in, it drives us joyfully to the cross. Because suddenly you realize like, shoot, I, I know I haven't made the, met the standard. I, kn I know I haven't been perfect. Like even if other people think I have been, right? Even if I'm faking it and they think I'm great, like he knows, he's the judge. And I know what his verdict is going to be. Like, think about what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter six, when he saw God on his throne, he said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And, and, and there's only one solution, that God would forgive us and have mercy on us, Right? And he did by sending Jesus to, to suffer the punishment we deserve on the cross, to die in our place and to, to walk out of that tomb three days later to defeat sin and death and guarantee us new life. And so this truth that God holds us accountable drives us to Jesus, our only hope. And I say joyfully, it drives us joyfully to the cross because simultaneously we're so thankful that he would love us this way. That he would see everything but still love us. Like, imagine imagine for a moment you're, you're naked in front of someone, okay? Like, uh, yeah. So it, it makes a big difference if they care about you, if they're on your side, right? Like, if you're getting dressed in front of, you know, a family member or your, your best friend and they're in the room, right? Like, that's fine. People do that all the time. But even, like, think about, like, the feeling of, like, when you realize your zipper's been down in public, right? You know that feeling? And like, you don't know how long it's been down and, and someone says, oh, dude, check it, you know, and, and you've been in public for a while. Like, that's the worst feeling ever. And it's just a zipper. Like, no one saw anything, but it's, it's, it's strangers, right? It's complete strangers. They're not on your side, right? They're probably making fun of you. That makes a big difference if they care about you, if they love you, if you're exposed, it makes a big difference. So here's God who sees us again, like we're fully naked, and he says, I love you. Nothing because of what Jesus did on that cross can separate you from my love. And that's huge. You know, like it makes a, a big difference that he's on our side. And so we're so thankful for the cross where Jesus clothes us, clothes our nakedness with righteousness. Okay, so. Biblical, biblical accountability means first and foremost, we're accountable to God, right? A God who knows everything about us, holds us to his standards and calls us to give an account. So what does this all mean for horizontal accountability, which is like the topic of tonight? Well, right off the bat, you recognize that vertical and horizontal accountability are very different, right? Because other people, they don't have the power to judge your life. Right? They don't have the power to determine your eternal destination. Only God judges the living and the dead. Other people don't make the rules that govern reality and the moral rules that we should obey, but God sets the standards. Other people don't inevitably hold you accountable, right? Like you could, you could go your whole life if you wanted to without ever listening to, to what someone has to say about you. 
You could, you know, just shut them out. But we will inevitably face God, whether we like it or not. See that? So, so you see how the way God holds us accountable is unique. It's like unlike any other. So the role of horizontal accountability is to push each other to conformity with the standards that God holds us all accountable to. And that's our definition for tonight. So make sure you get that. It's also in your notes. Again, horizontal accountability is pushing each other to conformity with the standards that God holds us all accountable to. So we can't judge others, but we can prepare them for the judge. See that? We don't make the rules, but we can explain them and help each other follow them. Okay, so who does this? That's the next question, right? Who does horizontal accountability? Well, first of all, let's think about local churches and the pastors and elders who are in them. That's why we have the preaching and teaching of God's word, right? Which 2 Timothy 3.16, famous passage, says it's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. It's also why we have church discipline, right? That's how you hold church members accountable. Jesus lays out a process for that in Matthew 18. So if you think of a place like Lighthouse, right, all of us are held accountable at the top by the five elders, right? Gavin, Jason, Kelly, Kim, and Ryan. Um, here in Beacon, we have Pastor Francis. Um, to a lesser degree, you also have, you know, small group leaders and disciplers um, here in Beacon. But it's, it's not just spiritual authorities who do the work of accountability. And that's important to recognize because you got to, th so think about like James 5.16, for instance, which says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Or a passage like Proverbs 27.6, which says, faithful are the... Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, friend is willing to tell you what you don't want to hear, right? Tell you something that stings a little bit because that's what friends do. See that? So it's not just spiritual leaders and authorities above us. It's also friends, peer to peer, friend to friend, each of us to each other, holding each other accountable. So that's what we're talking about tonight, right? In our friendships, in our friendships, pushing each other to conformity with the standards that God holds us all accountable to. So that's what we're gonna focus on, all right? All right, but why should we want this? What's all the hype about? Why is it so great? That leads us to our second step. Second step, why we should want biblical accountability, the motives, all right? So we can't make up a comprehensive list, obviously, but let's, let's think about three big reasons. First reason, sin keeps us in the dark. Sin keeps us in the dark. If you could please turn with me to another passage, John chapter 3. Turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 19. Let me set this up too as you're turning there. In this passage, Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus. It's late at night and he's explaining to this guy how he, he, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. That's where you get the famous John 3, 16, right? But we're actually going to start a few verses past 16 in verse 19. All right, you guys there? Okay, John 3, 19. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus referring to himself, right? Coming into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See that association Jesus is making between himself and light and then between evil and darkness, right? Okay, keep going. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. See what Jesus is saying? So he's saying evil hates the light. It loves to stay in the dark where it won't be exposed. It's like, like mold, right? Festers and grows in the dark, loves to be in the dark. Okay, so think about this for a second, right? Remember like when you would play hide and seek as a kid or as an adult? You know, I'm not going to judge, you know. Um, think about like the best hiding spots, right? It's the small, dark corners of places, right? No one's like hiding in the middle of the room, right? In broad daylight. And, and with our sin, we do the same thing. We do the hide and seek thing with our sin too. We stay in the dark because we don't want to be found out. We don't want people to really know what's going on, to really know what we've done, what we think, what we feel. 
I mean, think about like, this is as old as Adam and Eve, right? Remember what they did when they, when they disobeyed God's only command to not eat the fruit from the tree? Do you remember what they did? First, they made themselves some clothes because they didn't want to be naked and exposed, right? Second, they hid. They hid from God. Go back to Genesis 3.10. Adam says to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And we get that. Like that makes a lot of sense. We can totally relate to Adam and Eve. And, and we also get that if this goes on for a while, if it becomes a pattern, we start to live with a little baggage, right? Like we start to feel hopeless against sin, constant shame, guilty conscience, fear of being found out, imposter syndrome, not really trusting people, keeping them at a distance, right? We're just, we're just carrying around all this weight, just dragging it through life. You know, um, me personally, I've been there, right? Uh, actually, so an example from college at UCLA, um, I loved having people around, right? I love for the for the guys here who who like knew me in college, they know. Like I I joined everything I could on campus. Super nerdy organizations, right? Called Stroke Force and Mock Trial and AACF. Just kidding, it's not nerdy. Kind of. So you ever heard, hear of this test called Myers-Briggs, right? It's that personality test, right? One of the things that it tells you is how introverted or extroverted you are. So in college, I took a lot of these tests. We we're super into it. I never scored less than 100% extroverted ever. And I was like really proud of that. So I always had these people around and a lot of them, because I was in AA, there, a lot of them were Christians, right? I lived with a bunch of guys from, from AA including Francis for a year, unfortunately for him throughout college, right? I, I lived with these guys, but you would think even with all these people around, right? It, it wouldn't be this way, but, but in reality, I was hiding a lot of sin. I was, there was sin that I wasn't confessing to people, or at least like they knew kind of what was going on, but like, you know, not how bad it was or, or not really what was going on. Even with all these people around, I was more isolated than I realized. In many ways, I was hiding in the dark. See, Beacon, we think we're hiding our sin. What's really happening is our sin is hiding us. It's hiding us away and cutting us off from the light, from freedom, from fully experiencing the love of Christ and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. When you hide your sin, your sin hides you. And then in the dark, it kills you. Which leads us to our second reason for wanting biblical accountability. And it's really simple. Because we love God. We love God. Go back with me to John 3. We're going to pick it up, okay? We just read verse 20. So let's pick it up in verse 21. He is with me. John 3, 21. Jesus is still talking. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see that? Verse 20, on the one hand, sin loves the dark, but on the other hand, verse 21, good comes to the light. Now, get this. Jesus knows as well as anyone that none of us are perfect, right? He's not saying we're sinless. Um, and actually, in one sense, people who live in the dark and people who live in the light have a lot in common. We're all sinful people. But you don't just come to the light to be exposed. You come to the light to be healed. Turn with me real quick to another, another book of John, 1 John, okay? Let's go to the book of 1 John, and we're going to look at a couple verses in chapter 1. All right, 1 John 1, verse 5. You guys with me? 1 John 1, 5. All right, here's what it says. This is the message we have heard from him, that's God, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then skip with me to verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See what's going on here? We want to come to the light. Why? Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We love the light because we love God. We want, therefore, horizontal, horizontal accountability because that pushes us to the light where God is. And in this light, we have fellowship with each other 
We're walking with each other in the light and we are healed of our sin by Jesus's blood spilled on the cross and have fellowship with God. So in the light, we have fellowship with each other and we have fellowship with God and we have freedom, right? There is freedom out here in the light. Like that guilt and that shame, that weight we were talking about earlier, they're lifted off of you because you know in the light that God sees you with all of your sin and he still loves you. He still loves you. He's not going to let you stay the same, right? That's part of being the light. You know, you see where your defects are. You see where you need to be refined. You can see them really clearly in the light, but he still loves you and he'll change you. And other people around you get to see who you are too. And they they also still love you, right? In the light, you are known, Beacon. You are understood and you are loved. So going back to the examples using earlier, you know, I was saying um, I was like this big extrovert, right? So um, by, by God's grace, after about a year after I graduated, um, God dealt with a lot of that sin in my life. My sin was exposed and, and you know, happy to talk about this more in person. I uh, won't go into detail now, but, but yeah, just God brought me through this, this process of having to confess sin that even like the guys who were closest to me, I don't think ever expected for me to confess. Like just a lot of it came out and it was all in the open. Um, but there were these guys here at, at church, Francis included, who were, who were just so gracious, you know, first in how they forgave me, you know, um, like they were upset. Sure. For sure. Probably more than even like I know. Um, but, but never for a second did I feel rejected or, or turned away. Um, and not just in how they forgave me, but also in how they like rolled up their sleeves and, and helped me get better and walked with me, you know, um, like they were going to do it with me every step of the way. That's also when I started getting counseling. Um, if you haven't heard me plug counseling through lighthouse before, like, dude, I will put you on that. Like, I'll get you a PowerPoint and everything if you want. Like, Honestly, I, I thank God all the time for the counseling ministry um, at our church. It's, yeah, just this thing I was talking about, to be, to be known, to be understood, to be seen, to be loved, right? To be asked questions, hard questions, uncomfortable questions, lots of questions. But over time, you see God changing your heart little by little through the grace of accountability, accountability. And, and for me, it was like getting saved all over again. So we want horizontal ac- accountability because we love God, because we love God. And guys, thinking, think about it. The more you care about your relationship with God, the more willing you're going to be to get people's help to improve that relationship, right? Just think about it. If you really care about your relationship with the person, you're, really, you're going to try really hard, right? So like, let's take an example. Let's say you're about to go out on a date, Okay. Oh, I went there. Okay. So let's say you're about to go on a date with someone you've liked for a long time, just this, you know, lifelong crush. The day before that date, there is no limit to your humility. No limit. If your friend tells you, Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. Your outfits are whack. You are terrible at making conversation. And I've been meaning to tell you this for years. The way you chew your food is just, it's so disgusting. You will be like, yes, yes, thank you. Please tell me more. I'll do whatever, like take me shopping, teach me how to talk. I'll change how I chew. I'll change how I do everything. Like there is no limit to your humility the day before that date. Because that's how much you care about the relationship, right? If you really care about your relationship with a person, you're going to try really hard to get help on that relationship. So let's talk about a relationship with God. Paul famously writes in Philippians 3.8, what does he say? I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Psalm 63.3, David sings, Lord, your steadfast love is better than life. A relationship with you worth more than anything else. It's better than life itself. Guys, that's Beacon. That's why we want biblical accountability, because we want God, because knowing him is worth more than everything else combined, because his love is better than life itself. That's why. Cool. Okay. Third reason we want biblical accountability. 
God saves us corporately. God saves us corporately. All right. This one's a little tricky, but stick with me here. All right. So, you know how, when we talk about a relationship with God, a lot of it's like individual and personal, right? We say stuff like Christianity is it's, it's, you know, it's not about a religion. It's about a a relationship. It's about a personal relationship with you and God. It's just you and him. And that's definitely true. That is definitely true. Salvation is not less than a one-on-one personal relationship with God. But, but, especially in a place like 21st century America, that is usually where we stop. We just think about me and God, right? And we're not really thinking about us and God, us and God. But listen for a second to how the Bible talks about salvation. Okay, you don't have to turn there, just listen. 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So that's talking about Christians as a people who have collectively become God's people and received mercy. Here's another one, Ephesians 5.25, right? In every wedding homily in the world, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See how he's talking about Christians? He's talking about the church as one entity, saying Jesus died on the cross for the whole entity. Okay? Here, check this out. Here's a really positive one. Why don't you, why don't you turn with me to, to this one? First um, Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. So why don't you flip over with me to 1 to Corinthians 3. And we're going to read what Paul writes here. Okay, another really famous one, another really popular one. Here's what Paul writes, starting in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Okay, here's what you miss if you read this in English and not in Greek or look it up in Greek. Not that any of us are reading Greek Bibles, right? Where it says you, the word you, like you are God's temple, God's spirit dwells in you. That's actually second person plural, not second person singular. So it's more like you guys or you all or y'all, right? It's not you individually. So in case you were using it this way, this passage is not for you to go to the gym And then put this caption like, yo, I'm taking care of God's temple, right? Or like for people to prove that you can't, I don't know, put tattoos on your body. God hates tattoos. It's not that. It's not that. It's saying you, the people of God, God dwells in you. God's presence is in you. And I mean you all, all of you. That's what it's saying. So, yeah, when God saves people, yes, he is saving individually individually, one by one, people's souls. But just as significantly, he is saving his church together, his bride. So when he makes you most like more like Jesus, right? Yes, he is doing it for you individually. But just as significantly, he is making all his people more like Jesus together. So what does that mean for horizontal accountability? Well, Beacon, it means that our spiritual health is corporate as much as it's individual. Like what I, I, Winston, do and don't do in my home here affects you. It does. And what you guys do, each and every one of you, right, as a member of Lighthouse, my local church body, what you do and what you don't do also affects me. What we all do and don't do affects each other, and we all have a stake in each other's lives. Think about the analogy of the human body that the Bible uses a lot, right? The the health of one part of the body affects the health of the rest. Okay, Paul makes that argument all the time. If one part of the body feels pain, the whole body does. Like if if a patient goes in and, and they find cancer somewhere, they don't just look at that one spot, right? What do they do? They scan the whole body, right? Why? Why? Because cancer can be malignant. It can spread. That's what it does. That's what cancer does. Sin is the exact same way. So yes, Christianity is is personal. It's very personal. 
but it is never private. Christianity is personal, but never private. So Beacon, no such thing as secret sin that doesn't affect anyone else. Doesn't matter if they don't know. Doesn't matter if they don't see it. If you're sinning, even if it's in the dark by yourself, that negatively affects everyone here. And if you're doing, on the, on, the, on the flip side, if you're doing well in your relationship with God, loving him, obeying him, that positively affects everyone here. See that? To capture the individual story without the corporate story means you don't need accountability. You don't need community. Shoot, you don't even like really need to go to church, right? But God saves us corporately. He saves us corporately. And that is another reason we want biblical accountability. Okay, so accountability worth the hype. It's worth the hype. But still, we don't always do it. As, as great as it is, we don't always do it. So what stops us? Well, that brings us to step number three. Step number three, let's talk about some of the barriers, okay? And we've already touched on our overemphasis on individual, individuality in, in 21st century America, right? That's for sure a factor. But there are actually a lot if you think about it right? I mean, first of all, Lighthouse is a pretty big place. It is, right? And it's easy to hide in a big place, okay? Besides that, a lot of us are Asian Americans, and culturally, Asian Americans, not exactly, you know, the super open, let me tell you everything, pour my heart out to you kind of type, okay? We're just not. We're just not. Also, in our circles, right, the circles you and I run in, we, we emphasize, you know, good theology and good doctrine a lot, which is good, which is good, right? But don't, I mean, I think, I think you'd also recognize this. Sometimes we take that a little too far, right? To the point where, you know, as long as people have the right answers, the biblical answers, then we call them solid, right? Yeah, they're solid without really investigating important things like, well, how's their holiness? Do their friends know them? Do their friends really know what's going on with them? Are they humble? Are they open to critique? Like those kinds of things. And then on top of all of that, there's COVID, right? So a lot of you guys were stuck at home. We're not living with a bunch of Christians. We're not seeing Christians 24 seven like we used to. Okay. So right off the bat, there are a lot of real barriers to having biblical accountability in our friendships right now. It's just because of the time and place we're in. And that's real. That's real. And it's okay to recognize that. But Beacon, most of all, the greatest barrier and the one that we're going to talk about tonight, the greatest barrier to our horizontal accountability is our sin. It's our sin. And I want to talk about one specific sin that commonly keeps us from doing biblical accountability. It's really simple. It's pride. It's pride. And specifically three aspects of pride. And maybe you can relate to, to some or, or all of these. First, pride says, you've got this. You, you don't need accountability, right? Like we don't think our sin is that serious. We think we have it under control. Or maybe we don't think it's that big of a deal. We don't think that God is that bothered by it, right? And we also kind of think sometimes like, I mean, honestly, besides, if even if I told somebody, right, like, I kind of already know what they're going to say. Like, I know what to do. I know the right answer. So they're not going to tell me anything I haven't heard before. But Beacon, that is sin lying to you. Not only is it futile to do things by your own power, it's actually death. It's death. According to Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See that not only can you not kill sin on your own, if you try, game over. That's giving sin guaranteed victory. But if you do it on God's terms, if you say, God, I need you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. So help me. He answers that prayer. And, and don't you feel like there's liberation in that? 
right? It's tiring to fight our sin and to, to fail and to do the same thing over and over and over and over by ourselves. This, relying on God and his power, is so much better. It's so much better. Okay, second aspect of pride. Second aspect of pride. Pride also says that we need to look a certain way in front of others. We need to look a certain way in front of others. We pretend that we are actually better than we are. Because we don't want people finding out we're still struggling with this certain thing or that it's worse than they thought it was or we're still, we still haven't gotten over it yet, right? Maybe we are small group leaders or we're on core in AA or, you know, we're upperclassmen. So like, because I'm two years older, I got to have it all together, right? Like we feel like we're supposed to have reached a certain kind of perfection. We do. But I love how there's this one guy, Milton Vincent, He's a pastor here in California, actually. He, he writes this in this book called A Gospel Primer about this, this issue. So listen, listen to how he puts it. The cross exposes me before the eyes of other people, informing them of the depth of my depravity. See, if I wanted others to think highly of me, I would conceal the fact that a shameful slaughter of the perfect son of God was required that I might be saved. Beacon, the fact that Jesus had to die publicly for each and every one of us shows the world that each and every one of us is a sinner desperately in need of help. And the moment we accept that, the the Bible's description of us, that we, even as Christians, still are in the flesh, we are prone to wander, we are factories of idols, and that was the whole point of Jesus dying, then that's when we're going to stop pretending. We're going to stop pretending to be better than we are. We're going to recognize we were never, ever meant to do this alone. And again, Beacon, don't you feel like there's, there's liberation in that? There's hope in that, that we are in this together. We're in this together. Third aspect of pride. Third way pride kills our ability to do accountability. It destroys our love for others. It destroys our love for others. Since pride is also self-centeredness, right? Not just thinking too much of yourself, but thinking about yourself too much, right? Thinking about ourselves all the time, not enough about others. Then that means we're not, you know, we're not particularly concerned with how other people are doing with their spiritual well-being. And actually what happens is when it comes to their sin, right? Let's be real. When it comes to their sin, Aren't we a lot of times more angry and annoyed than loving them and wanting to help them, right? Like we're too busy being bothered by them or turned off by them to to even keep them around, let alone keep them accountable. And Deacon in there somewhere, we actually think we're better than them. We do. We think we deserve God's kindness more than they do, that their sin is somehow worse that they are somehow lesser. Like think about the, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, right? There's this king who forgives one of his servants who owed him this massive, like lifelong debt, right? And the servant thanks him, but then the servant goes off to this other guy and he demands payment for this puny little IOU that this other guy owed him. And when that poor guy can't pay, servant throws him in jail. And here's what the master says in Matthew 18, verses 32 and 33. He says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt that you, I'm sorry. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So again, guys, the gospel is the cure to our pride. The gospel is. Is the cure to our pride? You think your sin's not that bad? You think God didn't have to forgive you that much? You think other people are worse? You think it's hard to forgive them? Well, properly understood, the cross shows us we have been forgiven an infinite, lifelong debt. We are the worst of sinners. And so now instead of looking down on other people, now we're with them, right? We're side by side. We're in the same boat. We're equals, Instead of pushing them away or being disgusted and turned off by their sin, no, we draw near to them. We're heartbroken by their sin. We want to help them as we've been helped. 
So beacon pride is the barrier. The gospel is the answer. One more thing before step four. Um, Look, I, I know that another way that sin can hurt your ability to do biblical accountability is if you have been sinned against. Is if you've been sinned against. Because I'm like, I'd bet, um, not that I bet, but I'd bet money that if, you know, in this room, that if, if, if you're here and, and listening to this, you're thinking, I've tried. Like, I've honestly, earnestly tried. And someone broke my trust. Maybe they couldn't keep a secret. Maybe they said something, you know, really hurtful when you opened up to them. Maybe they just, you know, seem to not care. If that's happened to you, um, I am sorry. First of all, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and you're not alone that you're not the, 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 um, the only person that's, that's happened to that's, that's not an uncommon thing. It's a terrible feeling. It's, it's the worst feeling. It makes trying accountability again, ever really, really hard. Um, if that's you and you're struggling with this whole thing, can I just encourage you to do one thing? Just have a, have a conversation, you know, after this with someone you can trust, with someone you can trust. And if you can't, um, if you can't think of anyone, try maybe one of the staffers here, your small group leaders, um, Pastor Francis, maybe I'm, like on their behalf, I know, you know, all of us, we, we would love to help you. We would love to talk. Um, and also maybe this next part will help a little bit. Okay. So I wanted to acknowledge that before we got to our fourth and final step. Okay, so this is our, our last step. Let's make an action plan. Let's take some practical steps in the right direction. So I'm gonna break this up into two sections. It's in your notes. We're gonna go through them pretty quickly, but it's in your notes, like I said, so you can refer to it later, okay? And as we're going through this, just, just think really practically, pick one of these things and start there. How can I do just one of these things? All right, okay, first section, getting started, getting started. Step one. Pick, pick, think about your close Christian friends. Who do you already have a relationship of trust with, right? Who could you see yourself having this conversation with? Who do you really already have um, that kind of partnership with? One thing that you want to think about here is proximity, proximity, like literally how close are you? Um, how often do you get to see each other? How accessible are you to each other? Like I have a couple of really good friends, right? Um, some of my groomsmen, but they don't live close to me anymore, right? The, some of them are, you know, in NorCal or on the East Coast or whatever. And that means some real things for our relationships. It just does, right? Like practically we cannot just, be, we can't be the, the go-to guys for each other, right? We just can't. So for you, Beacon, look around your church at Lighthouse, look around your campus fellowship, look around your apartment, look around Beacon, those are the people in your proximity. Those are the people who you're going to see, you're going to be able to access. All right. In fact, if you can't, if you didn't have a name already, write down at least one name right now as you're taking notes. One person you think fits this description and is within your proximity. So we can start thinking about accountability. Okay. Write down a name. All right. Step two. That was pick, right? Step two, commit commit. Anyone here ever heard the acronym DTR? Okay. As in define the relationship, right? So that's when, if you haven't heard it before, don't worry, you're not missing out. It's when you realize like, um, that was nice to have this vague unspoken, like, Ooh, do we like each other? Do we not think, you know, like that felt kind of good for a little bit, but like, it's like, it's way smarter to figure out what's going on. Like, let's just, let's just talk about it. Okay. That's what a DTR is. All right. Committing to accountability requires some level of DTR. It does. It's a two-way street. You have to give permission and you also have to get permission. You have to give and you have to get right. So there has to be a conversation like, Hey, I feel like we are, but like, what do you think? Are you and I cool with having these types of conversations? It's okay if we're not, right? But like, how do you feel about it? Are we at that level? Would you be willing to do this with me? You know, ask those kinds of questions. And, and Beacon, remember, it's a lot more about commitment than chemistry. A lot more about commitment than chemistry. If you're on the same page about accountability, that matters a lot more. That 
pursuing Jesus together matters a lot more than like if you like the same sports or TV shows or games or whatever. Okay, commitment over chemistry. Step number three, plan. So pick, commit, plan. Accountability takes time. It takes effort. So like anything else that takes time and effort, you got to plan for it. And I'm not talking about like, all right, every Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m., that's our accountability time. Put it in your calendar and put a reminder, right? Like, okay, if that works for you, that's great. Like if you need to do that. But remember, this is a friend we're talking about. They should be your friend, right? So that's not how friendships usually work, right? You're not just planning on making accountability work. You're planning on making your friendship work. Okay. So the conversation can be a little bit bigger. It can be like, Hey, like I miss you, you know, and it's been really hard for us to get together during COVID. Um, let's, let's figure out a way to, to work around that, like to make up for that. How do we make time for each other? You know, and being, again, you got to think really practically here. Like some of you, myself included, we suck at texting. We're just the worst. All right. So, okay. So we're going to have that conversation. What is the best way for us to communicate? What's the best way for us to communicate, right? Maybe you're sick of being on video because for class and fellowship ministry, whatever, right? You're on video all the time. Can we just get together in person? Like, is that cool? You know, our schedule is really busy. Okay. So, so maybe we do need to set a regular day to catch up. When are you, when are you free? What works best for you? When are you most awake? Whatever. Right. So that we make sure we don't go too long without seeing each other. You got to ask those kinds of questions. All right, so plan for it, plan for it. All right, that brings us to the second section. Now that you've got this thing set up, you've gotten started, you've gotten someone, you wrote their name down, you had the conversation, you DTR'd, right? You, you planned it out. Let's, let's talk about how to do it, okay? So doing the work, that's the second section. Three things here that might be helpful, all right? Just three encouragements. First, connect everything to God. Connect everything to God. Remember what we talked about at the beginning of this vertical accountability comes first, right? Horizontal accountability is what's our definition, pushing each other to conformity with the standards God holds us accountable to. So the first person you confess your sin to should always, 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 always be God, not someone else. Okay. And, and, and remember the word confession literally means what to say the same thing as in to say what God would say about your sin. So it's not just like some flippant, you know, God, I feel bad. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Like get this guilt off my, my chest kind of thing. Right? No, no, no. It's taking time to sit with him. Like, God, I wronged you and let's figure it out. Help me search my heart. When I did this, here's what I was doing to you. When I said that, here's what I was saying about you. Right? You're like debriefing with God. So, when we confess our sin to each other, by the time we get there, right, it's kind of just repeating what we already confessed to God, right? So here's an example from, from my own life, right, just to, to illustrate it. When I do my quiet times, um, usually I'll start with confession. And a lot of times I'll, I'll write out what I pray. That's just generally how I, how I, how I like to, to, to pray during my quiet times. It's almost like writing a letter, right? So when I'm texting or, or talking to the guys I keep up with, right, um, later that day or whatever, I'm kind of just like copying and pasting, you know, I'm just like repeating whatever I wrote in my letter that day. Um, and then they'll ask really good questions about my heart, right? They'll help me see things that I didn't see before. And then I go back and I get to have even better conversations with God. So it's kind of, that's kind of how they push me, right? So, so you, you need to, to be confessing vertically and then horizontally couple other ways you can connect everything to God. Go through scripture together, right? Um, when you meet up, when you talk with your friends, that's him talking to us. So we connect it to that. You can also pray for each other on the spot throughout the week. We're asking God for help on each other's behalf. So we're connecting everything to God. Okay. All right. Second encouragement, second thing that, that might help you a lot, affirm the good, affirm the good. You know how at Lighthouse, we talk a lot about how everyone's a sinner, a sufferer, and a saint, right? There's bad, there's hard, and there's good in everybody's life. When it comes to accountability, I think it's it's really easy to see the sinner part. I mean, obviously, that's because it's accountability. And we also see the sufferer part a lot too, right? Like as friends, we kind of we share that we're going through stuff. 
but I think a lot of times we miss out on the saint stuff too. Um, here's how Ed Welch puts it. So listen to this. People who disclose sin, especially when they probably would not have been caught, are inspiring because the spirit is obvious in them. As a general rule, we are more encouraged by the confession than we are discouraged by the sin. So we should affirm that if someone confesses something to you, that's a good thing. That is God working in them. So Beacon, be the kind of person your friends can trust. Be the kind of friend people feel safe with. Right? And beyond the confession of sin, being someone who can be, who can be trusted and, and felt safe with, we're also getting to see each other grow, right? We're watching God's grace change people before our very eyes. That's a privilege of friendship. And so when you see that, look for that. And when you see that, affirm that too. Like say stuff like, hey, I've really seen you grow in this. Or, you know, it's been awesome for me to see how you've gotten better at that. Like you are so much better at that than you were last year. You know, you've gone a long way since the first time we we talked about this. Like affirm those kinds of things. Affirm. The, the good that God is doing. All right. Okay. Third, we're going to close out this section. Think defense and offense, defense and offense. I don't know about you, but I think for us, for me, a danger with accountability is that it becomes about not sinning. Stop doing the bad stuff, break the bad habits, right? It just becomes about that. But then if you look at a passage like Colossians three, right? Verse five says, put to death, what is earthly in you. But then in verse 12, it goes on to say, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and so on. See that? So Colossians 3, it's not just about doing bad. Yeah, you, you, you should stop, like put off that stuff, but also put on the good, the stuff that pleases God. So in your accountability, you can't just be thinking defense. You have to be thinking offense. So don't just think, um, don't lust right? Uh, because it's selfish and, and it rejects God as my comfort. Also think offense. Hey, instead of being selfish, let me love others actively. Instead of rejecting God as my comfort, let me go to God to find my comfort. Okay. So it's not just, here's another example. It's not just, you know, stop lying, stop gossiping. It's going on the offense. How can I use my words to build up and encourage? Not just don't be lazy, it's how can I work hard to steward what God has given me and bless others? You guys see how that works? Defense and offense. Imagine, just to to picture it again, imagine a football field, okay? Even if you don't follow football, I mean, this is is a pretty straightforward one. So if the opposing team has pushed you all the way to, to your own touchdown, like that your own end zone, right? Your back is up against the wall. They're about to score on you. Yes, you could make some heroic play to stop them, right? Somehow pull it out, you know? So you could focus on not giving into the temptation. Like it's it's just you and your temptation alone in your room. You're on the brink. You're like, no. And you, and you make some last ditch effort to resist. You run out of the room or you text your friends to, to ask for help or something, right? But you don't want to be on that side of the football field, right? Winning teams push you all the way back. You'd rather be on the other side. You want to be pushing them up against their own touchdown, uh, their own end zone, right? You have to think offensively. You have to think offensively. We're to stir each other up to love and good deeds, not away from bad deeds, but to love and good deeds. See that? Okay. All right. So hopefully that was helpful. And, And let me just close with one last encouragement. When it comes to horizontal accountability, um, be patient, be patient. Because every step of the way, there's going to be frustration, right? I'm just telling you now, it, it's going to probably take longer to develop these relationships than you hoped, you know? And you might feel like, and some of you might already feel this way, you're putting in more than the other person is putting in, you know? Like you're always initiating or whatever. And then like when you're when you're f- figuring things out, it's it's taking forever, right? And you want to fix everything in one day, stay up until 3 a.m., work this out, right? You want you want to be like, okay, sit down, let me give you the whole sermon, tell you everything I know about this issue. 
or, or you feel like they're struggling with the same thing week in, week out for way too long, or yourself, you know, you're discouraged because your sin sticks around and, and it won't go away. And that can be really discouraging too. But just remember, Beacon, God has gladly put up with you for a long time, shown you grace for a long time, and forgives you every single time you come to him. So be kind to others. And remember, becoming like Jesus happens by degrees. By degrees, these little itty-bitty, indiscernible increments, but they add up over months, over years. Remember that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion. That's a promise. So we can be patient and we can be hopeful as we go through this life together. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you so much for your word and how it makes things clear and how um, it takes, you know, ideas and concepts that we throw around a lot, like accountability and, and, and makes us go deeper on them and, and shows us in our hearts um, the barriers that keep us um, from doing it, the pride that, that keeps us from, from coming to you and to others in proper confession. And I pray that tonight uh, we would be honest with each other in our small groups, that we'd start practicing the things that we learned about from your word tonight, um, Father, and that we would um, come out of this um, stronger together, Father, because you've saved us corporately and glorifying you, worshiping you, um, pleasing you as your people, as one. Um, thank you again for your grace. We love you. Praise and praise Christ. Amen.